0: Alright, over this past year, we have been considering the, the, uh, the blessed topic of focusing on Christ. And you can see from the little graphics at the bottom there, those are um, just what, the, what we looked at from the very first beginning of the year with the shadow of Christ. We, we considered the different aspects of Christ coming from the Old Testament. And then we transitioned about a month and a half ago looking into the life of Christ. And as we considered the life of Christ, we considered His birth, His youth, um, His ministry, And in that, his preparation, proclamation, power, parables, passion, pattern, and promises is where we're heading with that. But over the last two weeks, then, um, we considered his preparation and his proclamation. In his preparation, we considered the baptism of Christ and also then the the temptation of Christ. And then last week, in his proclamation, we considered what his message boiled down to as he began his earthly ministry, and that was, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is, is near. And so we talked then about the kingdom of God, and we talked about where it was and how it was in our hearts, but how it's also eternally, we're looking forward to that. And that the term repentance and, and um, what changing the way you think really means and what it looks like. Today we want to look at his power, the power of Christ's ministry. And um, it's, it comes, this begins right on the heels again of, of that proclamation, okay? And it really is an affirmation of the proclamation of his of his ministry. And so we want to consider his power. And as we consider his power, the first thing we want to look at is the manifestation of Christ's power in his earthly ministry. And so, um, if you would, turn with me to, to Luke chapter 8. Okay? And as you're turning there um, to Luke 8, I want to bring out a, a couple words here in the Greek for you. And um, the first word is the word dunamon, and the second word is the word exousia. Okay? Now, dunamon, you can see... Um, in Greek, many times, when we bring it over to English, the upsilon actually comes over as a Y. Why? I don't know. But it does, okay? And so, but it sounds like a what? A U, doesn't it? Looks like a U, sounds like a U. You'd think that would be D-U-N. But anyways, D-Y-N. But does that look like anything to you? Dynamite. 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 Okay, and dunamin means power. That, so it kind of makes sense, right? That's where the word dynamite comes from. Dynamite is a stick of great power. Okay? And so that's what the word dunaman means. Dunaman refers then to ability or power. Okay? The power to have the ability to do something. Okay? The word exousia is the word um, which refers to the police officer on the side of the road. Okay? He has authority. Okay? and So primarily it means a right or authority, but it's a right or authority that derives from having dunaman. <laughs> that's exactly right. From having power. If you have, think about it, there are a lot of families today that are quite dysfunctional. Parents have authority, but they're what? They're not using it, and when they seek to use it, they're not using it in conjunction with what? Dunamin, with the power, okay? You moms and dads, you have power over your children, do you not? I mean, think about it. What's the fear of the Lord? This beginning of wisdom, beginning of knowledge. But really, boil it down. What is the fear of God? It's knowing that he can what? He can wipe you out at any time he wants to. It's the, it's the phrase that mama likes to use, right? I brought you into this world, and I can take you out at any time. Okay? And so, it's, 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 it's that concept. You have power. You really do. I mean, think about it. When you're holding um, Nathan. It's not Nathan. Titus, sorry. You're holding Titus. And at any moment, you could do what? You can take him out. Could he fight back right now? Not a whole lot. Okay? And so you have power to back up your authority. Do you get it? You may have authority, but if you have no power to back it up, it's, it's really dismal authority. That's what happens a lot of times in schools. They give teachers what? Authority, but then they don't what? They don't give them any power to back it up. Okay? I was thinking about that this week when I looked at the... Uh, the, the thing about that substitute teacher in Richmond County, um, he pulled a knife on a kid. Uh, yeah. It was, yeah, just a little pocket knife. But anyways, but he's been in the school system for years. And I can imagine. I mean, I've talked to different school teachers at times. And the frustration that you get when a child, I mean, a child was, was, was not backing down, was standing up in his class and, you know, doing the toe-to-toe, face-to-face thing, you know. And the guy lost it. And um, anyways, but he had no what? No real power. To back up the authority. And if a a kid in that system then wants to push it, right? Now all of a sudden you've got a what? A power Struggle. struggle. Okay? Well, when we're going to talk about Christ's power slash authority today, okay? He had authority over all these things we're going to discuss. But it's not just his authority, but he had the what? The power to back it up. The power to accomplish what his authority decreed. Does that make sense? And that all goes back to that what? Kingdom purpose that he talked about. The kingdom of God is that? At hand, And so first we want to look at his power over and authority over nature itself. In Luke 8, hopefully you're there by now, in verse 22 to 25, we read, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down the lake, and they were filled with water and were in great jeopardy. And they came to him, and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now you got to understand, the guys that were in that boat with Jesus were, were fishermen who were on this lake every night. They were used to it. Okay? You also need to understand, and I wish I had a graphic of this, but I don't, um, what the Sea of Galilee looks like. But in the, in the, the, the top west side of the lake, okay, there's an opening that comes in. Okay? And winds would channel into that, into that opening, and they would stir up the lake. Okay? And it could happen at, at any moment. Okay? And that's exactly what happened this night, just by chance coincidence of course and so they get into the boat and they're out there in in the storm storm comes raging the wind comes in and begins this tumult upon the sea now do you think that these fishermen have ever experienced this before sure they have this is not an unusual i mean it doesn't happen all the time but i'm sure they would have experienced it before but again these big burly fishermen are what Afraid. afraid why because it's much worse than usual. This is the time that they think is the big one. You know, I mean, you you know what I mean, you know how it is. You know, there are times when you 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 get into that car wreck or or you're facing something and you think, oh no, is this it? You know? Well they're thinking, uh oh, is this it? And so they go and they wake Jesus up, you know? And in another one of the passages it says, Don't you care that we're ready to drown? Don't you care that we're dying? You know? And um, so Jesus looks at him and says, Oh, you have a little faith. He looks to the wind, he looks to the sea, and he says what? Peace be, Peace, be still. Be still. And what happens? Still. Could you imagine being able to do that? I've been out on the, on the lake in a canoe when the winds came up. I know if some of you might have known Tim Gells years ago. And uh, we were doing a, a little homeschool tenting camping thing, and we had a canoe. And it had to get to the other side, you know, and the storm came up. And I mean, the waves are like, you know, huge. And I, at that point, hadn't been doing my Canadian Adventure thing all the time. And I wasn't really, you know, very familiar with canoes. I had a little bit of familiar with canoes, but here we are. We're going to, you know, do these big old waves coming at us. You know, I felt like I was out on the ocean. And that was kind of incredible, you know, for me to be able to do it. So I can't imagine what that would have been like. I would have loved at that moment to be able to say, be still and have the, uh, the lake of Thurmond, if you would, <laughs> be still for me at that moment. okay? And, uh, and, it, um, and it did for Jesus. So he had power. He had authority over, over nature such that his own disciples said what? Who is, who is this guy? I mean, who is this guy? Well, secondly, we want to see him over demons. Let's go continue here in Luke 8. Look at verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes. So right on the heels of this happening, they they come into the the area of the Gadarenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when they stepped out onto the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Now, stop for a moment. Okay, Let's think about this gentleman, this man of the gatherings. Okay, How long had he been been afflicted? A long time. What had people sought to do for him? Say again. Chain him up. I mean, they were what? They were afraid of him. So they're putting chains on him. They're, they're trying to shackle him. They're trying to, 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 to hold him in place. What happens? He breaks the chains. The rage that's within this guy is such that it gives him such great and unnatural strength that he's able to break these, these chains. Okay. And so the demons then drive him into the wilderness. Now, again, just kind of aside here, what do we know about Satan? He's the what? He's a deceiver, but in the book of Revelation, what is he called? No, that's 2 Corinthians 11. Yeah, serpent, dragon, okay. But he's referred to as Apollyon and Abaddon. Abaddon and Apollyon. Abaddon is the Hebrew name, Apollyon is the Greek name. Both of those words mean destroyer. He is the destroyer. Satan loves to destroy anything that God is seeking to do. Okay? That's who he is. He's the destroyer. And so he takes this guy, and the minute the demons get into him, what do they seek to do? Destroy him. They seek to destroy him. Okay? And so they carry him into the wilderness, and he's cutting himself, and he's, he's doing all these things, and they cannot tame him. Verse 30, Jesus comes to him and says to him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there in the mountain. So they begged him, the demons, not him. Notice that it changes the uh, pronoun here. They begged him that he would permit them to enter into them. And he permitted them. And the demons went out of the man and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. And then he went out to see what had happened, and came to Jesus and found the man to whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were what? They were frightened. They were afraid. And they also who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and he returned. Could you imagine the scene? Okay, There's these swineherds up on the hill. They just happen to have their, their herd up there, right? And, and they see this boat coming into shore. What, what had been happening just prior to the boat coming to shore? There was a great storm right? And then what happened? The storm just stopped. you understand? I mean, we, we forget sometimes context here, okay? And so we forget that these guys, you know, the Sea of Galilee is not a huge lake, okay? It's a small lake. It's only like two miles, I think, across in the width, something like that. It's, it's not very big at all, okay? And so these guys were on the, the, the eastern side, which was the Gentile side, Okay? And and Jesus is coming over from the, the Jewish side, the Galilee side. Okay, and so they're coming across. All of a sudden, a storm breaks loose. Right, Jesus is napping in the boat. They wake him up. This guy stands up. I'm thinking from the perspective of the swineherd right now. Right, they're looking out. They're seeing this boat. They're thinking this boat's going to go down, you know, I mean, you know, the Edmund Fitzgerald kind of story happening here, you know, and, and they're looking out, and all of a sudden this guy stands up, and these boats aren't huge boats, I mean, we're not talking about a big sea liner, okay? This guy stands up in the middle of the boat, he lifts up his hands, and all of a sudden what? Everything stops. The boat comes to the shore, and they're thinking, boy, these guys are really in, in trouble now. I mean, it's bad enough that a storm came upon them, but now They're where? Not Gentile Terry. I mean, think, even, think worse than that. They're right in the area where the demon-possessed guy's at. He's going to tear their... Big toe, big toe. Have I mean, you never heard the story of big toe. you got to listen to it. It's a it's a patch the pirate thing. Anyways, and so... But they think big toe island's here, and and, and this demon-possessed guy is going to come down. He's going to destroy the boat. You know, I don't know. We're, I'm reading between the lines here, okay? But you can kind of picture for them, right? They're watching. Because how do I know that? It says that... They also, verse 36, they also who had seen it told them by what means. The minute it happened, what did the swiners do? They ran into the city and they told her what went on. They came back and they, they, they're asking, so how did this happen? They told them what happened. You know, this guy comes to the shore. The, the demon possessed guy comes down here. You know, he's all of a rage. This guy says, what's your name? And all of a sudden we hear, legion, for we are many, you know. And he says, go into, the, go into the swine. And what happened? All of my swine run into the sea. What would you think it was you, John? The demons asked him not to send them into the abyss, but into the swine. So then the swine went off and destroyed themselves, or they destroyed the swine. So would they have gone into the abyss? Yes. I was going to go there later, but thank you. That's exactly right. What's so funny on the side of this thing is that the Jews, the, the, the Jews, in their in their symbology, the, the sea is a picture of the abyss. And so the... The demons cried to Jesus, Don't send us into the abyss before our time. You know, let us go into the swine. And so they go into the swine, but again, they're what? They're sources of destruction. And so the minute they go into the swine, they, they do do it. They run the swine off the, off the uh, edge of the cliff into the abyss, abyss into the sea, but, but to the Jews was the abyss. And so an amazing thing um, that was on there. That, they're just bent on destruction. And so, so the, the swine don't see it. And they tell, you know, and they come back from the city and what do they see? They see the guy who's been full of demons, who has been breaking chains, who's been causing great, you know, fear in the people. And how is he now? In right He's in his right mind clothes sitting like a, a proper person. What would you think? What if you were the swineherd? There goes your livelihood. There goes your livelihood. Clark? Well, we're not told exactly who they're meant for. I'm, I'm sure that they were, some of them were, were clearly for uh, sacrifices. Um, but, the, but the Gentiles clearly ate pig as well. Okay? But yes, some of them were, were meant as well for um, pig sacrifices. Okay? And they were over there because they weren't allowed on Jewish land. Even now, another little side you know, there are some Jews who raise pigs in Israel. You know how they get around it? They, they build platforms. And so they, they raise the pigs on platforms because they're not on, on the land. <laughs> it's for real. Anyways, um, it, it's the law. It's all about legalism. Okay, but here's, here's the deal. Okay? How do they respond? They don't respond in fear. They don't respond in, in, wow, who is this guy? We want to worship him. Rather, they make a decision between what? Their livelihoods or what they feel is their livelihoods. In, in God on earth they see the guy calm the storm they see the guy cast demons out there is an undisputable they are marveling at this the people are marveling at it and yet they make the decision of who they want to worship it is no different today the power and authority of God his Christ is displayed manifestly We've got, to, we've got to become used to just using that as well as a, a, a tool of, of witnessing. I understand we, we go to the Word, but we can look at things like this and refer to these things as we witness as well, and just refer to nature. I mean, God is there in nature. If, if somebody is, is out there and they don't have the Word of God, they do have nature. And, and by itself, we're told in Romans chapter 1, that nature itself declares the, the, the eternal nature of God. Okay, So, so Jesus... Shows that he has power, authority over nature. He has power and, and authority over, over demons. Okay? I mean, even when he stopped, the demon asked him, have you come to destroy us? They recognized who he was. Well, thirdly, oh, wait, let's, let's go back. Okay? Um, I, I want to talk about, as well, um, the uh, Matthew 12. Turn to Matthew 12. Um, this is the, the accounting of when Jesus was challenged, um, I think it's important to consider, as well, this passage when it comes to the uh, authority of Christ over demons. Matthew twelve, verse twenty-five. In fact, I'm going to do it in context. Let's start at verse twenty-two. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Now, isn't that interesting? He was demon-possessed, but what did everybody else see? He was blind and mute. So what they saw was a, a blind and mute guy. But what, what did Jesus recognize? It was a demon. Okay? So they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. Okay? And, and then the man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons by, except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the what? The kingdom of God has has come upon you. Okay? Again, as I said earlier, that as we can see these these Acts of, of display of the power and authority, the whole intent of it was to do what? Was to, to validate that the kingdom of God had come upon them. One day when we get to it and we talk about the, the disciples as well, the reality is the disciples were able to do certain signs and wonders in the very beginning of the ministry. Okay? Why? To certify that the kingdom of God was still being established upon earth. Okay? Now we want to move over to diseases. Okay? And we want to go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, verse 2 and 3. I'll start reading in verse 1 for the context. It says, When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, you've got to understand the great impact, and probably most of you do, of, of what just happened here. There is no more vile disease to the, to the Jews than leprosy. Lepers were forced out of the camp. They had to go live outside the camp. In fact, in the days of Jesus, there would be a leper colony that, that all the lepers would go live in. They were not allowed to associate with anybody else in Israel. If they were anywhere close where it could be, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that people could stay away from them. Okay? Uh, there was great fear over the, the spread of, of leprosy and, and great fear by people that they would grab it, they would get a hold of it. And so this leper heard of the power and authority of Jesus over diseases and nature and such like that, right? And so he comes to Jesus and asks to be clean. He says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can heal me. The next thing is really powerful. What does Jesus do? He touches them. By the law, what did he just do? He made himself unclean. If you touched that which was unclean, you became unclean. This is fun. The power and the authority of Christ is so great over diseases that when he who was clean, he who knew no sin, he who had all power and authority touched the unclean person, what happened? They became clean. Isn't that awesome? I mean, such that the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years, remember? We'll look at Jairus' daughter, I think, in a a little bit here, okay? But in that course, and we're not going to look at this part of it, but in the course of Jesus going with Jairus to go um, resurrect his daughter okay? This woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years says, if only I can touch the hem of his garment. Now again, there's another Jewish concept there with the prophet that the, the power flowing out would come out the tzitzit. And so the, the idea was that she was just trying to get close to touch the tzitzit, the, the little fringe that was coming off the prayer shawl and stuff like that. And she figured that if she could touch that, it was just a Jewish tradition, Jewish custom. But it was her faith. Okay? Again, it's kind of like Sunday school, what we're talking about. Okay? And so God knew that the trueness of her faith. She thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'd be made healed. Right? And so what happened? She touched the hem of his garment, and she was made pure. She was made clean. She was healed. Jesus knew it. knew all things. He said, power has gone out for me. Power, authority has gone out from me. And he turned around and said, who touched me? The disciples said, come on. There's a throng all about you. Everybody's touching you. No, but somebody purposefully touched me. That's pretty cool, isn't it? To know the difference between somebody jostling you and somebody actually wanting to be with you. And God knows the difference between those who just want to hang out and just be in the presence because it's a cool place to be, just to be known by Him, and someone who really wants to have the interaction, fellowship with Him. You get what I'm saying? Proverbs talks about a rich man and how he has many what? Many friends. What happens when he loses his wealth? They're all gone. You know who your true friend is? It's the one that's still there. Okay, That's the difference. So, Jesus had this power, authority over diseases to be able to just say, I'm willing, be clean And what? He's clean. He's clean. Power over diseases. Power and authority over, over handicaps. Let's turn to John 9. John 9, a very powerful passage. um, One that you probably would have heard of again already. And a lot of this probably is just, you know, it's just old hat. It's it's bringing things that you know together and hopefully overwhelming you um, with this concept of Christ and and who he is. Beginning at verse 1, John 9 says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi... Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Stop for a moment. Okay, You need to understand that some of these other things that occurred were Pharisees testing him. Do you understand? There was a challenge going on. Who's talking to Jesus right now? His disciples. They're asking an earnest question. For In their, in their concept, if somebody had a handicap like this, if someone was, was born blind like this, it was because of it's because of sin. Okay. Now we're going to look at a moment of sin and how that could be later on. Okay, in just a little bit. But they said, "Who sinned? His parents or he, him?" Jesus says, then, verse two. Okay, look at verse two. He says, "Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him." Stop again for a moment. Is that how you view your infirmities, your your impediments, your handicaps? The things that hold you back. Do you see them as items where God wants to be glorified through you? This man was old enough to give an account for himself. Okay? There are a lot of different estimates of how old he, he, he is. Okay? But he's a man, somewhere in the 20 to 40 range. He's lived with this all of his life. Steve, I understand that you gave a, a, a great illustration of this miracle um, on Wednesday nights, I don't know, months ago now. And um, you want to you explain to everybody when, when Jesus touched this guy and he held him, the, the, the intensity of it? Wait, wait, wait. I, I mean, for, so, so for tape purposes here, let me come near you. Go ahead. Okay. And when, the, uh, when you don't have input, sensory input coming into the eye, the part of the brain which processes the visual things does not develop. It, it just disintegrates. So there was no there was no eye, and there was no brain to process it. So there was absolutely nothing there. No nerves, nothing. And so it's not just a matter of taking this tissue and making it pass light through it. But there was nothing to even once he did it to, to, to even receive the light. And so when Jesus then heals this guy, he says in verse four, he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the day, and I love oh, that's an old. I'm the light of the day. I mean, he's talking to a guy who's what in what in literal physical darkness, you know. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, he made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the man, the blind man, with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he he went and washed and came back seeing. Okay, and so then we don't need to get into the rest of it. You know, it's, a, it's a, again the teaching all by itself in there. Okay. But the whole point is, Jesus took this guy with this handicap, what we would refer to as a a physical handicap. Worse than, I mean, it's not even, you know, someone who just lost their sight, you know, I'm, I'm wearing an apparatus on top of my nose because what? My eyesight is... Is going, it's failing, okay? It's not like it was growing up when I chuckled at all of these blind people who needed glasses and were blind as a bat, my wife especially, you know, just always chuckled, and now God is getting his vengeance on me. And um, and so, but I recognize this, and I, I take this off, and, you know, I can see you all, but blur here, blur there, blur there, you know, yeah, yeah you look better this way, that's right. And, uh, yeah, so take your glasses off, pay me the same compliment. And, uh, But, um, but the fact is, I mean, it's not just like that. It's not just like Jesus came in and gave me twenty twenty. You know, like I go down to the doctor now and I can get what? LASIK surgery, right? So we think, oh, what a miracle of science. No, it's not a miracle. I mean, it's just, that's just a, a physical thing. Jesus took a guy who had no eyeballs, who had no receptors, and he created everything in the moment. Just like that. I mean, to the point where everybody said, it's never been done like this before, that somebody would take somebody who was born blind and make him see. Jesus has power over any handicap that is out there. That is just one illustration. What's the next one? Over death. Turn to Luke 7. Luke chapter 7. There is... So much, and as we shared, I think it was yesterday. You know that it says at the end of the book of John, if if everything that Jesus had ever done was written, even the skies could not contain the scroll. Um, it's just amazing to think of. I and mean, so I'm just I'm just taking pieces. You know, in Luke seven, beginning verse eleven, we read. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all they... upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. Isn't it amazing? I mean think about the what what is happening here at, at each one of these situations as, as Jesus displays his power and authority. What happens to the crowd? They fear. They have great marvel and amazement and they fear who is this guy? Now, I mean, I mean, it's one thing to, to calm the storms. It's another thing to heal somebody. It's another thing to cast out demons. It's another thing to, to make up, you know, give sight to a guy. But this guy's dead, dead, certifiably dead. Everybody's there to, because they thought he might be just swooning, right? No, he was dead. Jesus comes up and just speaks to the guy. He didn't have little, you know, le- electrical impulse things. What do you call those things, Curtis? Defibrillators. Yeah, boom, boom, boom. You know, so he didn't come up and he didn't touch him here and here, and power went out from, and all of a sudden the, the little boy just kind of jerked off of the, the the you know the buyer, and you know, no, he spoke to him. He said, "Get up." What about Lazarus? You know the story, without us going to John chapter 11, you all know the story about Lazarus, right? Jesus doesn't go. He, 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 a messenger was sent. Lazarus is sick. Come and heal him. And Jesus did what? He waited. He waited until he died. Now, let's go on a little bit. Not only just he waited until he died, but he waited until he was dead a couple of days. Okay? It's because he goes... And he says to Martha, he says, if you believe, you'll see the, the, the God the glory of God, right? And she's, and he says to her, you know, do you believe that, that Lazarus will, will live? And he says, Well I know he's gonna live in a resurrection. He says, No, no, I'm the resurrection of life. He that believeth in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe. They go to the tomb and he says, What? Roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. Lord, she not get this? I mean, he's he's been in there for four days. By this time, he stinks. I mean, by this time, the decay is starting to happen. This is not the thing we want to do. And he turns around and says, didn't I tell you that if you just believe, you'll see the glory of God? Roll away the stone. He rolls away the stone, and he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I heard this before, and I don't know if this is true, but I love it. Do you know why he cries out, Lazarus? So they all don't come out. And um, he, he had to make sure which, you know, because the you way know, they had tombs, they were, you know, they were, you know, there was a lot of men there, and so he wanted to make sure the right one came out. Anyways, and they you know, didn't just have this whole group coming out. People couldn't handle all those people. They'd, but they've been dead for 150 years, and he came out, you know. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And could you imagine, could you picture the scene? I mean, do you understand how they would wrap them? I mean, I'm, I always try to picture, you know, this, this mummy hopping to the door, you know. And Jesus has got to say, unwrap him. <laughs> you know, what would you have thought? Guy says, Lazarus, come forth. And all of a sudden, you see this mummy appear at the door. Would you think for a moment, wow, unwrap him, or would you be going, I'm out of here? I'm out. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah. Probably some would say that. In fact, some of them did go out of there, but they went to report it. The guy's now healing dead people that've been dead for four days. We got to kill this guy. That really goes. I mean, don't you wonder sometimes, like. What? Are these guys brain dead or what? And um, and so, but yes, they were filled with fear and amazement. I mean, the ones who were believing, the other thing, who is this guy? I mean, first we've got this kid at Nain, you know, who had just died. That's one thing, okay. You know, I can discount this one maybe just a little bit. He had just died, you know. I mean, and so, okay, maybe we a swoon theory going on here. Maybe he really isn't dead, you know, whatever. Lazarus is dead. Everybody knew he was dead. And he, Jesus wasn't even what? There. Do you get it? So now he comes after the fact and he raises this guy from the dead. Well, Jairus' daughter, again, I, I explained that earlier. Um, you can read that later in Mark 5. Jesus is coming and, and the chief ruler of the synagogue comes up to him and he says, Teacher, I know that you have all power in, in my daughter, she is at the point of death, but I know that even now, you can heal her. And so Jesus went with him. Now, you got to understand, this guy was who? The ruler of the synagogue. What reputation, what reception did Jesus have when he went to synagogues? Not so good. Not so good. Chances are, this guy, Jairus, and I, I'm reading between lines, okay? Excuse me for that. But chances are, this guy probably already had a negative Appearance of Jesus, you know, he probably already was trying to, you know, tell the people, "Oh, watch out for that guy," you know, da da da. da. But now all of a sudden, what? He needs him. Things change when all of a sudden you are going through the trial. Does that make sense? And now all of a sudden, here he's at a point the doctors can't do anything. His baby, his daughter, his pride and his joy, is dying. So what are you going to do? Are you Are going to watch her die in your pride? Or are you going to suck it up and go do what you thought you'd never do in your entire life? And so he goes to this teacher and says, okay, I realize that you have this authority. And Jesus, I, I love, I mean, this is, to me, what an act of grace. I mean, don't come to Bob at a moment like this, okay? Bob's going to sit there and, and grill you. And so why now? So, what, what about the past? What about all those people you've been turning away from me? I know I'm reading between the lines, but this is one of these passages that Bob has meditated on, you know? And, uh, you know, you, you should be glad that Bob's not Jesus, you know? And, and, and I mean, I'd give this guy a hard time. I may eventually go with him. You know, maybe the grace of God would finally win me over here, and I'd go with this guy. But Jesus never does it. He doesn't give him a hard time. He does what? He stops what he was doing. Remember, there's a lot of people around him who want his attention, who want his, his healing touch. And Jesus goes with Jairus. And then on the way, they have the woman with the, the, um, the issue of blood for 12 years. Jairus is kind of getting nervous. You know, all the powers. You know, Jesus felt power leave. Uh-oh. <laughs> Oops. You know, and then it gets worse. Then the, the, the guy from his house comes and says... Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Your little girl is dead. And Jesus turns to this guy. What grace. He could have, off the hook now, right? Sorry. Hey, we tried, man, you know. <sighs> Wish should have come to me sooner, you know. If you'd have just sucked up that pride two months ago, this wouldn't have been an issue. I told you, you should be glad that Bob's not Jesus, okay? <laughs> and, uh, but Jesus turns to him and says, don't grieve. Only believe. All things are possible to him who believes. And they get to the house. And they kick out all the mourners and everything else. And, and, and he goes into there. And he says, Tabitha Kuman, He says, little girl, arise. And what happens? She gets up. She gets up. What a phenomenal moment to see. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus having this power and authority over death. But no greater, no greater, it's one thing to raise somebody else from the dead. But it's a far greater thing to do what? To raise yourself from the dead. Turn with me to um, John chapter 10. John 10, verse 18. In fact, let's do verse 17 with it. it says John 10:17-18. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. I have what? Power. The word is the word exousia. I have authority. So I have authority, authority that has what? Power with it in order to do what? To lay down my life. Okay? That's 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 not a big deal. I mean, you can do that. Okay? But I have the power, the authority to do what? To take it right back up again. Okay? So Jesus has the power and authority over death, and not just the death of others, but his own death as well. What else do we see? And I'll keep clicking this, and maybe they'll get the... Uh, The screen thing going on again in a moment, but he has a power authority over over sin itself. Turn with me to Matthew chapter nine. This is the test on whether I really know my my uh, my uh, what do you call it my overhead thing, yeah, or when I'm supposed to click. You know, we'll see we'll see if when it comes back on whether we're in the right spot. Okay, and so the power authority over over sin. I love this passage. Um, I actually taught this passage on the V.A. Um, Matthew 9, beginning at verse 2, we read, um, Then behold, they brought to him, that is the Jesus, a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, you are what? Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said to themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power, dunaman, on earth to forgive sins. I'm sorry, it's exousia, not dunaman, that he has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he rose, departed, and went to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power or authority to men. Good, ever since. All right? And so, picture what's going on here, okay? Jesus is in the house, okay? Probably Peter's house, okay? Um, that's where he would go when he was in Capernaum. And so he's probably in this house. And, I mean, and the house is just being packed with people wanting to come in and have Jesus' attention. Well, these guys come along. They can't get into the house, so they go up to the roof, and they, they have big basalt um, tile that, that would be their roof. Basalt is a, a volcanic rock, okay? And they would take big um, slabs of it, and that's how they would tile their their roofs like that, okay? And then they would put sod on top of that. And so it was good insulation. So they'd have these big basalt tiles, and then you'd have the dirt. So they would have to go up there, they would have to dig through the dirt, the, the sod, until they get to the, one of these basalt slabs, and then they would pick one up and set it aside, okay? And Depending on the size of the slabs, they may only have to pick up one, you know, and because it might be just their the proper size to, to lower the guy down through. But then they lower the guy down. Okay, now, what does Jesus see? He sees a paralytic man, a man who's not able to what? Move. We refer to him as a quadriplegic potentially. Okay, someone who's unable to move. Jesus doesn't touch the guy and heal him, but rather Jesus recognizes. Because he he is the great physician. You know, Steve is limited. Steve is, is, I think Steve's a great physician. but, But he's limited. He really can't, like I said in Sunday school this morning, I look out and you're a bunch of mysteries. I really don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you did this morning. I have no, I don't know clue, honestly, what you did for the last month or for the last year. What sins you're harboring? What sins you think you're hiding? You know, you can't hide from God. Same way, you're looking at me. You don't know. You don't know. What goes on in my private world and what my, goes on in my private mind, okay? Well, Jesus does. And Jesus looks at this guy, and he knows this isn't a physical ailment. This is a spiritual. Now, I'm sure that you've heard of psychosomatic illnesses. Have you? Okay? We are made up of three parts. We are a body, soul, and a spirit. The body is the somas, the somatic, okay? The the, the soul is the psyche, okay? The sukos. And the spirit is the pneumos or the pneumatos, okay? And so... We bring that over as pneumatic. And so we talk about um, psychosomatic illnesses, and those are illnesses that are in my body that are actually brought down by my, my anxiety and stuff like that, okay? My psyche, my, 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 my psychology, if you would. But there are soma-psychotic illnesses as well, okay? I mean, if I take um, Claritin or some of these 24-hour antihistamines, I become like that guy in the Gadarenes, Okay? Literally, I want to take somebody's head off. And different time, you know, some of them take two weeks, some of them only take two days. I mean, and Ben is a, you know, here to, 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 to testify. I mean, I wanted to rip his head off. Literally, I wanted to rip his head off. I felt like Jeffrey Dahmer that day. I mean, I just, you know, and, and I realized that, wow, I have got to stop this, you know, because this one's going to affect me just like the other ones did. And it's just it's a killer. I mean, I mean I slammed my laptop the one time, you know, and I was talking to Marsha. I mean, I was just mad. And I said my final comment was, I can't take this antihistamine either. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I couldn't control it. I mean, I was just I mean, I knew what was happening within me. So that was a soma psychotic thing. Did you understand? It was affecting the way I acted. Not necessarily my body, my, my nasal passage was clear., <laughs> um, you know, so it was doing what it was supposed to, but it was affecting my psyche as well. But as believers, we need to understand that there is the, the pneumos side of it, the pneumatic side of it as well. and so there are, as we talk about psychosomatic, there are pneumopsychotic and pneuma somatic illnesses as well. And that is that there are illnesses and there are conditions that are caused by being out of whack, if you would, being a chiropractor, spiritually speaking, we're out of whack in our relationship with God. This was one of them. There are undoubtedly um, many people in state hospitals dealing with cat, um, catatonic states and such that are a matter of sin not a matter of the body, or the soul. That there is a thing um, that they recognize today in the, help me out, I'm going to use this word wrong, the DSR, is it DSR? The the What's the classification system? DSM, DSM. in the DSM, I think they're DSM-4 now. Yeah, they're just going into the five. They just went into the 5, okay. And under DSM-4, anyway, they had the, the classification, what, what's called the conversion disorder. Yes? Okay. Uh-huh. And a conversion disorder is when you seek to suppress guilt within you and it comes out in some physical malady. Okay? If you would, I think this guy, and this is what I, I got I had the privilege years ago of teaching at the VA in the in the um, the, the psychology department, what are you gonna call that? That what that? Psychiatry. psychiatry department. I don't think they called it that either. But anyways, but you know, I was talking to all the psychiatrists and stuff who don't believe, that Many of them, that most of them didn't believe the Bible. And, but I had the opportunity to teach them on scripture and mental health, and uh, the mental health department, there we go. And, um, and, and I went straight through the, the composition of man, I went through the Bible. I did a Bible study with these guys for all day, eight hours I had these people. Yeah, it was awesome. You know, and, they, and they had the chance to walk out, and especially at lunchtime, they didn't have to come back, but they did. It was really cool. Um, anyways, and so what I shared was I read this passage, I, I put it up on the screen and showed it to him, and I, I said, I believe this one you would have classified as having a conversion disorder. You would have been seeking to, to to analyze this guy. I said, but what Jesus understood was that he had a sin problem. He was out of relationship with God. He was seeking to suppress guilt, probably, but the guilt was a, was aligned with what sin. It's what I mean. Think about it, what is guilt. You knew that you did something wrong. It's an admission of sin. Okay, Jesus knew it. Jesus understood it. He dealt with it. And he said to the guy, your sins are forgiven you. Everybody marveled. Everybody wondered, who is this that can forgive sins? And he says, listen, take up your bed, just to prove it. Take up your bed and walk. And what did the guy do? He took up his bed and he and He walked. The prostitute, we don't have time to go there right now, but Luke 7, that's the, the, the woman that when he was at Simon the Pharisee's house and the woman who was a prostitute came in and she, she washed his feet with her hair and you know, with her tears and anointed his feet with the, the oil. And then he said to Simon, Simon, I got something to say to you. And he says, say on. He says, you know, you didn't even give me the basic um, uh, custom of washing my feet when I came to the door. You know, the guy had servants. And so the idea is when you came to his house, the servants would wash your feet. He said, when I came in, you didn't have anybody wash my feet. Basically, you told me where I stood in your house. You didn't give me kiss my cheeks. I mean, that was, again, the other, you think of the French, you know, doing the the cheek thing. He said, you didn't do it. You know, you invited me to your house, but you didn't even give me the base um, courtesies. Thank you. But this woman, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. She washed my feet with her hair, and she's anointed my feet with his oil. Her sins, which are many, are what? Are forgiven. Woman, your faith has made you well. Your faith has forgiven your sins. Jesus had the power to forgive sins as well. So the manifestation of Christ's power in his earthly ministry over nature, demons, disease, handicaps, death, sin, and clearly we could do many other categories, and we could use many other illustrations within those, but we can move on, and we want to look at the application of Christ's power in his church, and because this is important, for we see it in three areas, and I knew I'd be writing um, at the end here, so these verses are all going to be on the screen for you, okay? First of all, it's the basis of our, our victory, and we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 55 to 57, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ in john 1 we read he was in the world the world was made through him and the world did not know him he came unto his own his own did not receive him but to as many as received him he gave them the exousia the authority the right the power the privilege to become the children of god to those who believe in his name and in john 17 we read jesus spoke these words lifted up his eyes to heaven and said father the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. As you have given him exousia, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Christ's authority and power is the basis of our victory. Our victory over death. Our victory over sin. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. The whole... The whole battle is all joined together here. It's not just death, it's sin as well. The wages of sin is death. You get it? I mean, it's all boiled together. And so when Jesus came, Jesus came to give us a th- um, victory through His power and authority over death, but not just physical death. It's the whole concept. Again, we're made up of a body, a soul and a spirit. And so when Eve and Adam sinned, the very first application of death, because the day you eat of it, you will surely die. The first application of death that we saw was not physical death. They didn't kill over. Boop, gone. Start the process all over again. It wasn't in their relationship with God. Where was the first application of death that is seen in the garden? It's between each other. They realized that each other were naked. And then and they were not ashamed first, right? Well, this time now they realized that they were naked in what? They were shamed, and they, they, they made clothes for themselves. They placed a barrier, if you would, between. And we see it in greater detail when God comes to speak to Adam and says, what did you do? He says, what? It's the woman you gave me. Immediately, he started doing what? Blame shifting. There was a riff, socially speaking, in the soul that came between a husband and a wife. Well, when God came into the garden, what did the husband and wife, at least they had some agreement on this one, what did they do? They hid. They hid from God. The one whom they would have fellowship with in the garden all the time. There was death, spiritually speaking. And then eventually God then kicked them out of the garden so that they would not eat of the tree of life and live forever. And so they would one day eventually, what? Physically die. So there's this death. And so the victory that God gives us is over death. All the way. Body, soul, spirit. One day I look forward to the time when I will have victory over physical death. I might go through the portal, but I will what? Continue to live forever. You can't kill me. My body may stop existing here on the earth, but I will what? I will continue to go on. It's an amazing thing. And so, in that then, in that, that victory, he then turns around and gives us what? Exusia. To be what? The children of God. To be joint heirs with Christ. What a phenomenal thing. And it says that Jesus has the authority to do what? To give eternal life to as many as he wants. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is what? Near. We know, 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, that it's good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires what? All men to be saved. To come to the knowledge of the truth. While well, it's the basis of our eternal security as well. In Romans 8, a passage that you know as well, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It is he who, who is he who condemns. It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the... Slaughter. I put that Greek word there beside there. It's I put it transliterated for you, but because it's not just a typical word for killing, it's talking about a religious sacrifice. It's what's really cool is you, if you go back to those messages on Revelation. This is the from that the um, um, the the second horse um, when when the second horse goes out and he kills. Okay, it's this. It's a it's a religious killing. It's a religious slaughtering. Okay, just a little aside. But anyways, so we are like sacrifices is the idea. We are a religious sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 says what? I beseech you therefore, mer- brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as a living sacrifice. living sacrifice. Well, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the sacrifice, for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, all those things we talked about before, all these things, we are more than conquerors. I love this word. Hoopernicoman. Okay? And uh, you can see it's hypernicoman. Okay? Do you see Nike there? See Nike? Okay? Like like the shoes you wear, that's the Greek goddess of victory, okay? And so it's the Greek word which means to be victors, okay? And so on their shirts, victors in Christ, we have on a shirt Nikos, okay? Because we're victors. I'm a victor, okay? Well, we're told that we're more than just victors, we're over victors. We are supermen. <laughs> we're superheroes. That's that's the idea, man. We're super victors. That's awesome. In all these things, because of Jesus Christ, we're super victors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, that's archa rulers of a world, nor powers, the dunamis of the world, the things that seem to have power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creative thing shall be able to, or have the power to, even though they are the powers on the earth and they have all the rule on the earth, they don't have the ability, they don't have the power, the dunami, to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It doesn't matter how much dynamite they got. God's got more. Do you get it? I mean, when you look out of the world, you think, oh man, this just seems like this is insurmountable, not by God. God is God not stopped by any of that at all. Finally, it's the basis of our evangelism as well. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 18. Many times we just quote 19 to 20, but 18 is important with it. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All exousia, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, what's the word therefore, therefore? He's referring back to it. Based upon what I just said, then do this. Because all authority has been given to me, therefore I want you to go. And what? Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching the things whatsoever that I have taught you. And lo, I am what? With you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. It should be an amen. So be it. Why? Because he said, Looky, I've got all authority. I want you to go to be my representatives, but don't worry about it. What? I'm hanging out with you. I've got you covered. And I have what? I've got all authority and power, man. When you go knocking on doors, when you're talking to the person at at work, when you're out in the streets, when you're at Walmart, when you're in your house, wherever it is, and you start thinking, Oh, man. Remember, what? Jesus got your back. Jesus is there. He is with you. He said already, don't worry about what you're going to say in a day. Why? The Holy Spirit will give you utterance. I'm with you. How long? Always. How long? Till the end of the age. I'm with you always? No matter the circumstance, and I'm with you until the end of the age. No matter where you go, no matter what time of the day it is, no matter what year it is, I'm with you. So, the question we should be asking ourselves then is considering the power and authority of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Christ, is there anything too hard for our God to do? I mean, I love that part in the uh, facing the Giants, the locker room, you know, when, after they, they beat whatever the name of that you know, Big Bubba's yeah. team. The giants. the giants, I know, but I was trying to think where they were actually from. We, 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 actually. Ridgeland. Ridgeland, you, you were the man there. The original and Giants. And so he says, you know, when he's asking the team, is there anything too hard for God to do? And they're all sitting there, what? No, coach. No, coach. No, coach. But we recognize it's just a movie. But it's truth. When we look at what Jesus Christ is able to do, is there anything too hard for our God to accomplish? And the answer is no. Now to him who is able, Dunaman has the power to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the dunaman, the power that works in, who? Us. Isn't that awesome? To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. So the one who is able, the one who is the power and has done what? Placed it into us. To him be the glory forever and ever. It's just an amazing thing. So, have you trusted in the power and authority of Christ to deliver you from eternal condemnation? I don't want to forget that. Okay? I know it's talking to us as believers for the most part, but if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need, I mean, he's God, man. You've got you to give him your life. Finally, are you trusting in Christ for the power to accomplish what he has called you to perform? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love this word. "en dinamunti, Okay? The dunaminti. It means to put power into. We bring this over into the English as empower. You know, with all this empowering movement, you know, you see the billboards lately, they, they want to empower people. They're having these empowering um, uh, conferences up in Greenville, Greenwood area. They, they're having these empowering places. They want to empower people, you know. Do you want to know where you get power? It's Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ who empowers me. I can't do it on my own, but I can do it when Christ empowers me. Fun stuff. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you, Lord, for the display of your your authority and your power over nature, over disease, over demons, over handicaps, over sin. Lord, you are a phenomenal God. You are the only God. Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of your power and your authority at all times. I think when, when Satan comes, Lord, and, and he begins to tempt and to try us, when he begins to seek to destroy us, Lord, that we would call upon your power, that we would recall who you are, not seeking our own, Lord, not seeking our own glory, but trusting in you for yours. We know that you will now allow us to be able to be tried and tempted beyond what we're able to bear, but Lord, you will um, also make a way of escape with it. But Lord, I pray that Since you know that we could bear up with these things, that, Lord, we would look to your power to be able to bear up. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives. Help us to be those who are true worshipers. In Jesus' name, amen.